Good morning, church. As you know, we've been working our way through the Bible in chronological order during this sermon series called The Story. And after today, we're going to press the pause button during the season of Advent as we'll be reading from our new Bible reading plan for our new series, A Savior is Born. And that reading starts tomorrow. As always, you can pick up a hard copy of the Bible reading plan if you don't already have one on the round table in the narthex as you exit today. They're available in the Welcome Center as well. Um, and of course, you can always follow along electronically through our website or the My H AHUMC app on your phone. Well, in the story, we learn how God called Abraham to be the father of the nation of Israel. And we've seen how the mission of Israel was to point other nations, in fact, all people, to God. God wants all people to come to him, to come back to him, to have a relationship with him. We've learned how God gave Israel a land to possess and how for a while they were governed by judges in a kind of loose tribal confederacy. But eventually the people cried out for a king so they could be more like the other nations around them. And God allowed the prophet Samuel to anoint the first king, Saul. Now Saul had a lot of qualities that we like to look for in, in human leaders but he was not faithful to God. And so, God had Samuel anoint the second king, David. Now, David was a strong king, fighting battles, consolidating power and territory, and under his leadership, Israel thrived. At times, he sinned majorly, but he repented, and he turned his heart toward God and he captured the heart and grace of God, which is available to all people. And so as we pick up today, David is old. He is nearing death. He knows it's time to pass leadership on to the next generation. But David had several sons, and one of them, whose name was Adonijah, whose mother's name was Haggith, was vying to succeed his father on the throne. One day, Bathsheba went to see David in his room. She bowed to him, and he asked her if there was something that she wanted. And Bathsheba reminded David that he had once sworn to her that their son, Solomon, would become king after David. And David replied, as surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out today what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my palace. And so Solomon was anointed the king of Israel. And when the time came for David to die, he called his son to come near to him, and he gave his son this charge. He said, I am about to go the way of all the earth, so be strong. Show yourself a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways 
and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and requirements as written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promises to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. And then the Bible tells us that David rested with his fathers, and Solomon's rule was firmly established in Israel. What excellent advice David gave to his son, Solomon. He knew that Solomon needed to keep God at the center of his personal life and at the center of his life as king and leader of the government. We do well to offer that same advice to our children and grandchildren, to observe God's commandments, to walk in his ways so that they might prosper in all they do in life. When Solomon took over the kingdom from his father, there was peace in the land. For David had fought many battles, and he had secured the borders, secured the land, and Solomon benefited from all of that. And yet, up to this point, there was still no temple. No temple had been built for the worship of God. David, as you remember, was not allowed to build that temple, and Solomon was going to, but he hadn't built it yet. And so all the people of Israel were making sacrifices up on the tops of hills, the high places, the Bible often calls it. And that, in and of itself, was a pagan practice. It wasn't sanctioned by God. God did not condone that. God had prescribed only certain places to worship Him and to make sacrificial offerings to Him. And so one day, one night actually, early in Solomon's reign, God appeared to Solomon at night in a dream, and God told Solomon that he could ask for anything he wanted. Can you imagine such a question from God, the creator of the universe, asking, ask me for whatever you want. What would you ask for if God appeared to you in a dream and said that you could ask for anything you wanted? Would you ask for a loved one, a family member, a friend to be healed of a disease? Would you ask for a raise to maybe make it easier at the end of the month to make sure your bills got paid? What would you ask for if you could ask God for anything? Well, here's how Solomon answered. He said, your servant is here among your people you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. I think that's pretty amazing, don't you? Solomon could have asked for anything, but he asked for a discerning heart. 
He knew, I think, that he was going to need it to govern well, and it pleased God. It still pleases God whenever his people ask for wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Solomon could have asked for wealth. He could have asked for good health. He could have asked for victory over his enemies, but he asked for wisdom. And that pleased God so much that God also added what he hadn't asked for. God gave Solomon riches and honor and a long life. It reminds me and sounds a lot like what Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you as well. My friends, wisdom is so valuable. It's worth its weight in gold especially when it's acted upon. I read a story not very long ago about the automaker pioneer Henry Ford. You know him. He asked as he was building his factory in Detroit, a friend of his by the name of Charlie Steinmetz, who was an electrical genius to build the generators that would power his factory. And one day after the factories were up and running, those generators ground to a halt And Ford called some repairmen in, but they couldn't figure out what was wrong with those generators. They couldn't get them going again. And so Ford called his friend Steinmetz, and he came over to the factory, and he tinkered around for a few hours, and then he threw the switch. And those generators whirred back to life, and the factory was up and running again. And not very long after that, Ford received a bill for $10,000 from Steinmetz. Now, Henry Ford was known to be kind of (laughs) tight-fisted. He was flabbergasted that his friend would send a bill that was so high. And so he called his friend and he asked him, why is the bill so high? And Steinmetz told him, Henry, for tinkering with the generators, I only charged you $10. But for knowing where to tinker on those generators, (laughs) $9,990. History tells us Henry Ford paid that bill. Not long after Solomon encountered God, his wisdom was put to the test. Two prostitutes came before him who lived in the same house together. One of the women had given birth to a baby. And then three days later, the other woman also gave birth to a baby. And no one else was in the same house with them. Well, during the night, one of the women's sons died because she had rolled over on him and he accidentally suffocated. And when she woke up and found that to be the case, she got up out of her bed. She exchanged her dead baby for the baby of the other woman who was still alive. And when the other woman awoke in daylight and looked closely at the baby that was dead laying next to her, she knew that it wasn't her baby And so the women went to King Solomon, and in front of the king, one woman said, the living one is my son, the dead one is your son. But the other woman said, no, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before King Solomon. The king said, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead, while that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king And he then gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. 
Well, the woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other woman said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. And then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king gave, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. What a wise judgment Solomon gave. And what a creative way of arriving at his ruling. Truly, he had been given the gift of wisdom from God. Solomon's kingdom was expansive. It stretched all the way from the Euphrates River in the north all the way down the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea to, the, to Egypt in the south. And God gave Solomon wisdom and insight, and his understanding was measureless. He was wiser than any of the great men of wisdom who lived in the east and those who lived in Egypt. Scripture tells us that he was wiser than any other man, and his fame spread throughout the world. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and he wrote 1,005 songs. He was knowledgeable, and he spoke about plants, animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. People from all over the world came to listen to Solomon's wisdom. In fact, Solomon's name has become synonymous with wisdom, mainly because so many of his famous wisdom sayings have been collected in the book of Proverbs. These words of wisdom touch on life issues. They offer practical insight into how to have reverence for God, how to have God-honoring relationships with other people, and how to wisely handle our finances, marriage, work, words, wealth, temptation, and life. And just like the Bible in its entirety is an instruction manual for how to live life, the Proverbs are certainly a micro-encapsulated manual for right living God's way. And it all starts with putting ourselves in the right position or posture in relation to God. The NIV translation says in Proverbs 1-7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Solomon isn't talking about being afraid of God here, for fear can also mean reverence and respect. I like the way the message phrases this verse. It says, the first step in learning is bowing down to God. Only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. And so our right posture with God is reverence. It's bowing down before him. The Proverbs are full of poetic couplets that often compare wisdom with foolishness. And there is, of course, a sense that people who ignore wisdom are foolish, that they're filled with folly, even silliness. I mean, a person can be too stupid to listen to the good advice that is offered to them. But in Proverbs, the fool is also someone who despises God's word, 
who looks at God's word with derision, who carries evil intent or even perversion in his or her heart, which prevents them from hearing, from following the wisdom of God. You know as well as I do that we live in an age where information and knowledge is abundant. In fact, it's available at the press of a button on one smartphone with your finger. But sometimes it seems like wisdom can be pretty scarce. Wisdom means a lot more than knowing information. It means applying it, putting it into practice. God gives us many treasures of wisdom through Solomon in the Proverbs. In chapter 1, verse 8, we're told to listen to our father's instruction, not to forsake our mother's teaching. And it goes without saying that the actions we exhibit as parents and grandparents are also important, not just the words we speak, especially when we demonstrate our love and devotion to God in front of our children and grandchildren. It is then that they pick that up from us. So think about it. Do you live right in front of your children and grandchildren? Do you pray together with them? Do they see you reading your Bible? Do they see you worshiping God? You see, your instruction and teaching carry a lot of weight when you also practice what you preach. Chapter 1, verse 9 warns us against going along with the crowd. Solomon says that when sinners entice us and try and get them to come along with them, not to give in to them. In fact, run as fast as you can the other way. One of the best-known Proverbs is found in chapter 3, verses 5 to 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. You see, as we learn to trust God more and more in our lives, we will find the peace that only God can give. When you have a decision to make, when you have a face a big challenge, put your God knows what's best for you, even better than you know yourself. You can bring your decisions to God in prayer and then follow where He leads. Paul tells us something like this in Philippians 4. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Proverbs teaches us how to use the resources God has given us in a godly way. Chapter 3, verses 9 to 10 says, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. You see, a wise person recognizes that every good thing has come from God. And that wise person returns the first part of their blessings back to God, not what is left over. You see, the habit of giving generously helps us overcome our propensity to get greedy it opens us up to all the blessings God wants to pour out upon us. My friends, if you want to grow in wisdom like Solomon did, I can't think of a better, way or better place to begin than to open the Bible to the book of Proverbs. Practice reading some of those Proverbs every day 
and then putting them into practice in your life. Now, as I said, King David had ushered in a time of peace by securing Israel's borders and by defeating her enemies. And so Solomon's reign became known not only as one of wisdom, but also for Solomon's great diplomacy and the architectural achievements that he achieved by building the temple in Jerusalem, among other things. King Hiram of the neighboring kingdom of Tyre had always been on friendly terms with King David. And so when he heard that his son Solomon had been anointed king, he sent some of his emissaries to see Solomon. And Solomon negotiated with Hiram for the raw materials that would be needed to build the magnificent temple that was being planned in Jerusalem for the Lord. And in exchange, Solomon provided Hiram with food for his royal household. Hiram provided cedar and juniper, pine and olive wood for the temple. And these were cut in the forests of Lebanon and transported on the Mediterranean Sea, and then they were brought to Jerusalem. In addition to all this beautiful wood, um, stones were quarried. They were hammered and chiseled to their specifications for the temple at the quarry. And so there was this quiet reverence kept at the temple all the while it was being built. Solomon's temple, we're told, was spectacularly beautiful when it was done. Two bronze pillars led the way to the portico. And next, that led to the holy place where all the beautiful wood from Lebanon was paneling the walls. And after that, in the interior was the most holy place, which was overlaid in gold. It was there that the Ark of the Covenant was brought to be put here in the most holy place, and only the high priest was allowed to go in there. And so after seven years, the construction of the temple was completed and it was lavishly furnished. The holy objects that had been stored by David were brought out and brought in so that the priests would be enabled to lead the people in the worship of God. And so when the temple was finished, Solomon summoned all the people of the nation to come to Jerusalem, to come to the dedication of the temple. And there was a giant worship service. Thousands of animals were sacrificed to the Lord. And finally, Solomon raises a prayer of praise to God. He says, praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he never leave us or forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him, to walk in obedience to him, and keep the commands, decrees, and laws he gave our ancestors. And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel according to each day's need, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, and that there is no other. Soon after, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time in a dream, and he told Solomon that he had heard his prayer and that if he walked before him in integrity of heart and uprightness and observed his decrees and laws, he would establish his royal throne forever. But if he or his sons turned away from the Lord, God would cut Israel off from the land. Well, Solomon's fame 
continued to grow and gain notoriety. The queen of Sheba came from her faraway country, bringing gifts and tribute to Solomon. She remarked that she had heard in her own country about the fabulous temple, the beautiful palaces, the rich foods, the wealth of Solomon's kingdom. But what she had heard about before she arrived paled in comparison to what she saw with her own two eyes. So much wisdom, so much wealth, so much good. And yet Solomon stumbled. And the Bible speaks of it at the beginning of 1 Kings chapter 11. We're told Solomon had many, many wives, most of whom were foreign-born royalty. These marriages were meant to forge alliances between kingdoms. But with these many women came many gods and many religious practices that were foreign, that were pagan, that were against the statutes of God. God had warned Solomon. His father David had warned him. 1 Kings 11.4 says, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Solomon had started strong, but he was finishing poorly. The Lord became angry with Solomon because of Solomon's heart being divided, and as a result, God told Solomon that his kingdom would become a divided kingdom after his death. You know, no one ever wakes up one morning and thinks to him or herself, I think I'll ruin my life today. I think I'll throw away my marriage my career, my family, my reputation. It comes on us slowly. We can be unaware of the slow, slippery slide down the path of destruction. I mean, think about it. If the wisest man who ever lived failed, then what about us? I think the Christian life we're on is like a long-distance race. It isn't a sprint, and we have to stay diligent throughout the entire race. Think about it. In a marathon, there are a lot of different steps that you have to take, a lot of things to keep in mind if you want to finish the race strong. First of all, you have to start out well. You have to go out at the pace that you've trained for. If you let the excitement of the crowd around you exhilarate you, you might just tear out of there like a jackrabbit, and you will die a mean death if you do that. You have to be aware of your surroundings on the course. What's the weather like? Are there hills on this course? Are there potholes to watch out for? Other things that might make me stumble? You have to stay hydrated. Maybe even take a little nourishment along the way if you don't want to peter out toward the end. In the Christian race that we're in, we have to pray to finish strong. We must ask God for wisdom. We can even invite the accountability of other Christian brothers and sisters to help us, to run alongside us, to help us along the way. 
Hebrews 12, verse 1, is a perfect image of this metaphor. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. My friends, no matter where you are on your journey of faith, maybe you're just getting to the starting line. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle of your race. Maybe you're approaching the finish line. Wherever you are, it's important that you finish strong. And the best way to do that is to commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the most important thing you can do for a strong finish. Because you see, Jesus will forgive your sin and wipe away your shame at the starting line of your journey. And he'll come alongside you. He'll strengthen you for your journey the entire race. And because he completed the work of defeating sin and death on the cross when he declared it is finished, you can know with assurance that you will finish the race in victory. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your servant, Solomon, and the wisdom that you gave him and all that we can learn from his life. Help us, Lord, like him, to pray for wisdom and a discerning heart. And because we know that we are so prone, like him, to stray from you, God, keep us running the race with perseverance. Keep us on the straight and narrow path. Keep us obedient to your will and your way. Most of all, help us to commit our lives to Jesus who loves us from start and has promised to be with us till the finish and beyond. God, thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. May we live this life wisely. In Jesus' name, amen.